Hi, everybody. Uh, my name's Luke. I'm going to be reading Romans chapter 13, verses 1 to 7. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear um, of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honour, then honour. Here ends the reading. Thanks, Luke. Hi, everyone. I'm Nat. It's really lovely to be here at Uni Church tonight. I'm one of the ministers here at Carlton, but mostly at 10am and 4pm now. So it's lovely to be with you tonight and to be looking at this passage from Romans 13. And to me, it seems especially appropriate to be thinking about this passage in a year when Victorians are being given the opportunity to vote in not one, but two elections. Now, I know not everyone here would be eligible to vote in Australian elections, but even if you're not eligible to vote, you've probably heard some of the political campaigning that went along with our federal election in May, and you might be aware that we have a state election coming up in November. Our family lives in a really interesting electorate for both of those elections. Uh, in the federal election, we are in the seat of Kuyong, so our previous Member of Parliament was Josh Frydenberg, the former Treasurer. And our current Member of Parliament is Monique Ryan, one of the Teal Independents. And the election campaign in April and May was pretty amazing. There were uh, lots of those big posters of Josh Frydenberg and Monique Ryan. Occasionally there were neighbours with one or the other kind of facing off at each other, uh, next to each other or across the street. I don't know how neighbourly relations went through that time. Uh, every weekend for months at the supermarket there were uh, gaggles of campaigners willing to talk to you or give you one of their shopping bags to shop with. And I remember on election day uh, arriving at the polling booth and uh, there were just more posters than I've ever seen before, kind of strips of Josh Frydenberg and then strips of Monique Ryan. So it was pretty kind of uh, heated up campaign in our electorate. For the state uh, election coming up in November, uh, three weeks ago, so more than three months before the election, 
both of our Liberal candidate and our Labor candidate were at Woolies as I was walking in, willing to have a chat and talk to me about why I should vote for them. So it's been pretty exciting out in Surrey Hills this year with elections. But it's not just two elections that make this passage a really interesting one right now. I think two years of the COVID pandemic has meant people have been thinking quite a lot about politics and government not just in Victoria, but around Australia and the world as well. In Victoria, though, you might remember some of the hashtags that were going around over the last couple of years. We had hashtag I stand with Dan, and we had hashtag dictator Dan. Uh, the federal government also had uh, some really vocal supporters and also some really vocal critics. I think COVID raised lots of questions for people about governments, and about how they lead and exercise power. Uh, maybe the questions were there before COVID, but the pandemic really brought them to the surface, I think. At the moment, also on a global scale, there are other questions happening about governments. Lots of people are questioning the whole idea and basis of Western democracies. Some people are feeling uncertain about our particular geopolitical region, maybe about the role of China in our region. Lots of us are feeling nervous and upset about the war in Ukraine brought on by Russia. And as well as all of that, I think lots of people are quite cynical about governments and people who exercise authority in our communities. And maybe some of us feel like that as well. So I think this passage is really relevant for us in that much bigger context. And as we heard it read, maybe you had some questions that came into your mind. Uh, maybe you thought the passage sounded a little naive or simplistic. Maybe you felt like it was a little bit out of date for our more complex world. But I think it has lots that's really relevant for us to hear. As we begin, I want to acknowledge that uh, lots of us in this room will have had really different experiences from each other of government and of politics. If you've grown up overseas or spent a lot of time overseas, your experience of government might be quite different to some of us who have grown up here in Australia. And that might raise different questions for each of us as we listen to this passage. So tonight what we're going to do is try and identify the principles that we find in this passage and then think about how that might look for us practically as we relate to governments and other authorities in our lives. I think the big question here is how should Christians relate to governments and other authorities uh, as we live for God in this world? So let's look at Romans 13 now. You can see it on your sheet, your um, new sheet that you got as you came in. And in some ways this passage is not very complex. So verse 1 and verse 5 articulate the big idea pretty clearly. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities we read in verse 1. And then again in verse 5, it is necessary to submit to the authorities. There's really not much wriggle room here. Verse 1 is addressed to everyone, doesn't let anyone off the hook. And lest we think that Paul was having a bad day when he wrote Romans 13, we find this same idea elsewhere in the New Testament. So in Titus chapter 3 verse 1, we read, Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities. 
In 1 Peter chapter 2, we read the same thing. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. So I guess one of the questions for us to think about is what does it mean to be subject to or to submit to an authority? And who are these governing authorities that we're meant to submit to? Someone who's written about this passage said that submission to a regime means acknowledging the authority of its representatives to fulfil the roles ascribed to them, not endorsing every policy or action they pursued, which I think is really helpful. We don't have to agree with every policy or decision that an authority makes, but we are called to acknowledge when a government or an institution or an organisation has authority to make decisions and to shape public behaviour. So who are these governing authorities for us? Well, I think in Australia this would include our three levels of government, so local, state and federal government, but also include authorities like the police, the tax office, the judicial system and other public authorities who are carrying out some of the functions of government in our society. So there we have it, the big idea of this passage, submit to the governing authorities, which means to obey the government and to obey the law. It seems super clear, really, and someone else who wrote about this passage said, the problem with this passage is not its opaqueness, but its clarity, its plain and unqualified call for submission. Maybe you feel that problem a little bit. Maybe you wonder, what, is, what do you do if an authority is corrupt? What do we do if it's oppressive? What do we do with a dictatorship? Uh, what if some authority calls us to behave in a way that conflicts with what we believe as Christians? What if we just think a government has made a really dumb law? Should we really submit to authorities in all of those kinds of circumstances? Well, let me uh, leave those questions sitting there for a moment because in the rest of this passage, Paul gives us some reasons for his uh, encouragement for us to submit to governing authorities. So we're going to have a look at those reasons first and then come back to some of the questions. The first reason Paul gives us for submitting to governing authorities is that they are established by God. So let's have a look again at verses 1 and 2. First he says it negatively. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which God has established. And then he emphasises it by saying it positively. The authorities that exist have been established by God. And then a conclusion uh, that reiterates the point again. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. This is a really big thing. Our governments, our local councils, our police forces, our court systems, other authorities all have been established by God. Now, just for a moment, imagine saying that publicly. Imagine someone in the media writing or saying, uh, the government has been established by God. They'd be ridiculed, wouldn't they? They'd be scoffed at. Most politicians would scorn the idea that God had anything to do with them being in their positions of authority. 
but maybe we also have some uh, doubt about this statement. Maybe we look at governments and authorities and think they're not as good as we would expect if they were actually put in place by God. It's not hard to find examples of a government doing a bad job. It's not hard to find examples of corruption or of uh, institutional violence in some countries. Surely if God is the one who establishes the authorities, they would look way better than they actually do. I think it's helpful to have a little bit of context for this passage at this point. Paul wasn't writing in some kind of utopian society. He wasn't writing in a theocracy where God was uh, publicly acknowledged as the king or the ruler. Paul wrote Romans in the mid-50s AD and Nero was the Roman emperor at the time. Now, uh, some of Nero's reign was quite tyrannical. From what I've read, uh, in these early years of Nero's reign, when Paul was writing, uh, it certainly wasn't the worst part of his reign, but still the system he ran was full of injustice and, uh, and arrogance, imperial arrogance. And in that context... Paul can still say that Nero, in his role as Roman emperor, had been established by God. So whether they are good or evil, the Bible's testimony is that governments are established by God, put in place by God. And so what I think we see here is that government is a form of common grace instituted by God. God uses human rulers to provide order, to provide justice, to provide civility for the people who are governed. One writer said that government is an institution established by God to accomplish some of his purposes on earth. That doesn't mean that a particular government always does the right thing, but it means that order through government is part of God's intention for the world. And that's true whether or not a particular leader recognises that God has given them the position that they hold. Think for a moment about the alternative. Without government, we would have chaos and disorder. There would be anarchy. There would be unrestrained violence. Imperfect justice is way better than no justice at all. And so we thank God for governments. On Friday morning, as Sam said, we woke up to the sad news that Queen Elizabeth II had died. Uh, she reigned for 70 years. She was the longest reigning monarch on the British throne. Uh, I felt really sad in my family growing up, uh, gathering around the TV at 7pm on Christmas night to watch the Queen's Christmas message was part of our Christmas tradition. I read in the last week that in her very first Christmas message in 1952, which I wasn't around for, I wasn't watching that one, uh, just before she was crowned as Queen, the Queen requested prayer for her upcoming coronation. This is what she said. I want to ask you all to pray for me on that day, to pray that God may give me wisdom and strength to carry out the solemn promises I shall be making and that I may faithfully serve him and you all the days of my life. 
Queen Elizabeth was one leader who had a really clear understanding that her role as queen was given to her by God and that she served him. She carried it out under him as she served her people. I think a consequence of this idea that rulers are established by God is uh, for us to be praying for them. It's one practical response we can make. Paul in 1 Timothy 2 encourages us to do that. This is 1 Timothy 2 verse 1. I urge then first of all that prayers, petitions, intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Sisters and brothers, God calls us to submit to the governing authorities and to pray for them because he has established them. Secondly, we see in this passage that we're to submit to the governing authorities because they are God's servants to reward good and to punish evil. We see this in verses 2 to 5. Let's read it again. Whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities. So we see in those verses that for those who do wrong, God has provided rulers to bring punishment. And that happens through penalties imposed by courts. It happens through fines that we might get for something like a speeding offence. For those who do right, rulers are God's servants to give commendation. Now, as I've already said, sometimes we get justice wrong. Our courts sometimes get justice wrong. Uh, Other authorities sometimes get justice wrong. And other countries are much worse than Australia in this regard. So how do we think about that? And does it mean we can disobey a government, we can disobey a court if we think they've made a wrong decision? Well, let me put a few pieces of an answer in place to those questions. First, I think it's helpful to remember that Paul was really aware of the imperfections of human authorities. We know from Acts that Paul himself experienced injustice in the way that he was treated by Roman officials, just as Jesus did. But still, Paul never encouraged civil disobedience. Uh, He didn't encourage a program of political subversion. And what Paul outlines here in Romans is God's blueprint for governments, what God has designed them to be. They're meant to bring justice for their people. But just as sin tarnishes everything in our world, sin tarnishes how governments function. But that impact of sin doesn't mean that we then necessarily turn against governing authorities, that we automatically rebel against them. It's also helpful to remember that human authorities are only one part of the picture of God avenging evil. We will only experience perfect justice 
when Jesus returns in all of his glory as King of Kings. What we experience now when we experience justice in the world is just a taste of that perfect justice that will one day come. One commentator said this, the judgment of the state against evildoers in history anticipates the eschatological, that's the end time judgment of God at the end of history. So we can look forward to the true justice that God will one day bring in Christ. Another helpful thing to remember in this context, and maybe might seem a bit odd, but we see in the Bible that God often uses pagan authorities for his own purposes. So uh, Daniel talks about Nebuchadnezzar in that way. Isaiah talks about Cyrus in that way. And we see in the Gospels that God used Pilate for his own purposes. Even pagan and cruel rulers can't overthrow God's purposes. So those are a few thoughts about uh, human authorities and how sin has impacted their rule uh, and their impact on the world, about why their imperfections don't mean we give up on obeying them. But I think there's also a much more constructive way to think about uh, the role of government in restraining wrong and in rewarding good, which is that we really want to encourage Christian people to be involved in government and other kind of public functions. There is so much potential for good when Christians are involved in politics, when they work in the police force, when they're involved in the judicial system. As Christian people respond to God's mercy by offering him their lives, our lives, as we're transformed by the renewing of our minds, we can make a huge difference to the way human authorities respond to both good and evil in our society. That's a little bit about how sin impacts the uh, working of human authorities. But I think it's really important to acknowledge our own sin as well. I wonder, uh, who of us here has ever slowed down when we have seen a police car on the road? Has anyone ever done that? I was driving the other day and the traffic was really slow. I couldn't work it out and then I saw a police car on the side of the road. There are lots of reasons we might slow down when we see a police car. One of them is the fear inside us that maybe we might have been speeding or doing something else that's wrong. There are lots of examples we could choose to help us think this through, but let's just dig into this one for a moment. When I'm driving... Uh, I can tell you I'm not usually thinking about how God has provided governments to make road rules for my good and the good of the other people on the road. I wish I was thinking about that. Uh, What I'm often thinking about is how I can get to my destination more efficiently. I've usually got Google Maps up and they've got the ETA there and I'm looking at the alternative routes. Uh, I'm thinking I should have left five minutes earlier so I get where I'm going on time. Uh, Sometimes I'm thinking maybe if I just go a couple of kilometres over the speed limit that would be okay. I know there's not a speed camera anywhere around here. Uh, Sometimes I'm just not thinking and suddenly I'm sailing faster, well driving, uh, faster than I should be going. Usually I'm not thinking any of that really explicitly, but that's some of what happens in my head 
uh, as I think about my attitudes towards driving. But think now again about Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The pattern of this world is to minimise speeding offences. It doesn't really matter. No one noticed. No one usually gets hurt. Although when there's a tragic speeding accident like the one we heard about this week, we're reminded that there can be devastating consequences. But what if we're transformed by the renewing of our minds in response to God's mercy to us in Christ? then I'm reminded that speed limits are God's provision to keep people safe on the roads. I'm reminded that my impatience to get somewhere half a minute earlier is actually just me being really selfish. And that if I speed, I do deserve a fine and I shouldn't try and get out of it just because I don't want to pay the money. We're to submit to the governing authorities because they're established by God. We're to submit to the governing authorities because they are God's servants to reward good and punish evil. We're also to submit to the governing authorities as a matter of conscience at the end of verse 5. So because we know that governing authorities are put in place by God, they are God's purpose to bring order in the world, uh, we want to uh, obey them. We want to behave in appropriate ways in relation to human authorities because of our consciences. Now this verse doesn't mean our conscience as some kind of independent form of guidance but it's addressing us as people who are having our consciences shaped by the scriptures and by God's spirit. It is addressing us as people who are going through that process of being transformed by the renewing of our minds. So because God has shaped the world with governments and authorities in place we should submit to their authority. And we submit to their authority within the framework of Romans 12, 1 and 2 where service to God with renewed minds is our primary calling. Tim Keller has written about this passage and he says this, the gospel gives a standard by which to oppose human authority if it contradicts the gospel as well as an incentive to obey the civil authorities from the heart even when we could get away with disobedience. So a gospel-shaped conscience encourages heart obedience to civil authorities most of the time. Not just perfunctory obedience, but heart obedience that recognises authorities established by God. A gospel-shaped conscience in a democracy like ours will also be aware that there are legitimate ways of addressing injustice Uh, There are legitimate ways of removing unjust officials. There are legitimate ways in our society of seeking redress. So there's a real challenge here in this passage, I think, to advance the welfare of society by holding elected representatives, by holding um, uh, employed representatives accountable to their commitments and responsibilities. If we have a gospel-shaped conscience, it will motivate us to vote with discernment, to work hard when we vote. If we have a gospel-shaped conscience, it will encourage us to engage constructively in public debate. And sometimes 
a gospel-shaped conscience will lead us when necessary to oppose human authority if it contradicts God and the gospel. We see an example of that in Acts chapter 5 where the Sanhedrin arrested the apostles and gave them strict instructions not to teach about the name of Jesus. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. So with that proviso in mind, we've seen we're to submit to the governing authorities because they're established by God, because they're God's servants to reward good and to punish evil. We're to submit as a matter of conscience. And finally, we're to submit to governing authorities by giving what we owe. Verses 6 and 7, this is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honour, then honour. One of the commentaries I read on this passage said that complaints about taxes were really um, common in the early year years of Nero's reign. So maybe that's been a universal theme since taxes were invented. But these verses do encourage us to pay our taxes, our council rates, to pay whatever else we owe and not to pay them begrudgingly but rather because we pay them to God's servants who govern our country. That's a pretty big challenge to transform the way we think about taxes. And this isn't just about finances, it's also about our attitudes towards politicians, police officers, bureaucrats, others working in government roles. Uh, Respect, honour. I don't know about you, but it feels to me like respect and honour for people in those kinds of roles is pretty countercultural in Australia. Think for a moment about our attitudes towards governments and political leaders. I mentioned earlier those hashtags, hashtag I stand with Dan, hashtag dictator Dan. There's not a lot of respect happening in that second hashtag. Uh, publicly and privately, we're often hypercritical about politicians. We're often scathing, we're often rude, often we're unwilling to admit that the challenges politicians are dealing with are really big and complex and there are not usually really easy, simple answers. That's the pattern of this world, to be hypercritical, to be rude about our politicians. Do we conform to that pattern? Or are we, in response to God's mercy, being transformed by the renewing of our minds? Here in Romans 13, Paul renews our minds by telling us that the governing authorities are established by God and that we owe them respect and honour. Daniel Andrews and his government, Anthony Albanese and his government, Scott Morrison and his government before that, all established by God. Whether you vote left or right or independent should have no bearing on the respect we show to all of our political leaders. They are established by God. So how might that change the way we talk about politics? How might it change what we post on social media, what we read on social media? We're to submit to the governing authorities for some really great reasons in this passage because they're established by God, because they are God's servants to reward good and punish evil. Uh, As a matter of conscience, we're to submit to give what we owe. But we do all of this with a much bigger picture in mind. 
One of my Facebook friends wrote a blog post on Friday. He called it The Day the Queen Met the King. It was a beautiful reflection for Queen Elizabeth who knew the one true king, Jesus. All of our questions about submitting to imperfect human authorities are answered when we remember that one day Jesus will return in all his glory. He will return as the perfectly just King of kings and Lord of lords. When he returns, all wrongs will be righted, all injustices will be overcome. In the death and resurrection of Jesus, God offers us a king like no other, a king whose rule is perfect and a king who claims our allegiance, a king we live under now and a king whose return we wait for in hope. Romans 13 encourages us while, we're, while we wait not to ignore government because we know that Jesus is king. Romans 13 encourages us while we wait not to seek to bring about revolution, to bring in God's kingdom. Romans 13 encourages us that we wait in the intersection of the ages where Jesus is king but not fully revealed as such. And so in that time, we live under the earthly authority of the governing authorities whom the King of Kings, Jesus, has put in place. So let me pray now as we finish. God, we thank you so much that Jesus is the perfect King, the just King, the loving King, the King who is sovereign over all. And we thank you that you have put in place all sorts of governing authorities in our world to reign under Jesus, the King of Kings. God, please help us to respond to those authorities in ways that honour you and please help us to wait with hope for the return of Jesus, our King of Kings. Amen.